0: All right, polls, guys, do we believe them?
2: <laughs> the bit I believe is the 30% of people still undecided or voting for others or independents. Hello, lovely potters. You're on
0: Australian Politics. I'm Catherine Murphy and with me this week...
1: Josh Butler. Paul Carp.
0: Sarah Martin and Amy Remakis. And we We are are answering answering your campaign questions. (laughs) We are going to answer your campaign questions and they are, as usual, excellent. Sarah, you're up first. So this week we're going to start uh, with a question from Lisa Johnson. Thank you, Lisa. She says uh, it seems the LNP has abandoned its moderate faction MPs in favour of dog whistling to the right-wing conservatives in this election. If if uh, they lose with this strategy, aren't they risking sending themselves to Coventry with the voting public? That's the first opener. And uh, and there's another one from Jack Seman. I hope I've pronounced that correctly, Jack. Sorry if I haven't. Uh, both leaders have said they won't negotiate with independents in the event of a hung parliament. Is this just talk or is there a real chance we could be forced back to the polls? Yay! Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) If neither party can form a majority government agreement. Thank you both for those questions. Sarah, kicking off with Lisa.
2: um, Lisa, I think that um, you're probably asking this question with particular uh, reference to the uh, Catherine Deves sort of uh, ongoing saga that we've been hearing about over the past couple of weeks. um, And that sort of particularly um, the the sort of moderate right wing split has been particularly apparent um, with people in New South Wales coming out and criticising her and calling for her to be disendorsed while Morrison has stood by her. I think you are right that they the, the Prime Minister is definitely, backing um, the uh, conservative view on this and is ignoring the pleas from those moderates. And we obviously reported that there's been private pleas from um, sitting MPs like Trent Zimmerman, who are worried that this is a distraction for them to hold on to their, you know, what are known as teal seats, um, where they're being challenged by um, Climate 200-backed independents. So, I think you're right that that's the decision that Morrison has made, and obviously very deliberately so. There's a lot of debate as to whether or not he's quite happy to have this little culture war on the side, and he certainly hasn't, um, you know, he's sort of very softly criticised some of uh, Catherine Deves's uh, commentary, but more or less he has backed her in 100% and said that he pretty much shares her view. He's made no attempt to shut down the issue um, and is very happy to to have it sort of simmering along, I think, because I think their their assessment is that it possibly helps them in certain seats um, and they always quite enjoy having a little uh, culture war on the side. So um, if they abandon those teal seats completely, um, there's a lot of debate as to whether or not um, that that is a strategic shift for the conservative side of politics and whether there's sort of a long-term goal in mind where, you know, we're seeing in this election, they believe they can flip some uh, traditional Labor held seats. Um, Hunter, for example, um, some of those working class seats that have always been in Labor hands. So there's uh, certainly some within the coalition who think that is the way for the government to go and that would mean uh, abandoning uh, those inner city seats and that's obviously uh, the view that um, some have is it's how Boris Johnson has been successful in the UK with the sort of so-called Red Wall strategy. Um, you know, there's mixed views <laughs> about whether or not um, there's equivalents in Australia and enough seats for them to be able to do that mm. um, but it's certainly the case that they, they um, there are some who think that's the way to go so um, does it risk um, sending them to Coventry um, I guess we'll see I guess we'll see whether this strategy with Morrison's uh, focus on the outer suburbs and regional areas is one that pays dividends for them electorally or whether or not um, if they do lose those teal seats and it's a result of losing those teal seats that they can't form government, um, perhaps they'll reassess. mm Perhaps. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, and then, sorry, Jack was it Jack's question yes. about, oh, look, don't, no, no, they're not, they don't, there's no way they're not going to negotiate with independence. Yeah. if it means they have a chance to form government. That yeah. one's easy.
0: Yeah, I think that's the safest bet in uh, in politics at the moment, regardless of what they're saying. Uh, before we move on, any other thoughts, uh, either on uh, replicating Boris Johnson's, uh, you know, red wall? Uh, red wall? Is it red, red, red? Red wall? It was Labour's red
2: wall, the traditional yeah. sort of working class no, seats. No, that,
0: I'm sure that, yeah. that is the terminology. Yeah. I just doubted myself for a minute. So either Red Wall or whether or not there is some prospect of having another election this year.
3: As if they would have another election this year. <laughs> like it's just ludicrous. <laughs> I mean, like there is, there is, I guess, that sort of thought that like maybe the, those independents wouldn't sign like a formal coalition, yeah, coalition with a small c rather than the BC yeah. Yeah, um, of, you know, Labor and the Greens and some sort of cobbled together little faction that, you know, give them supply and confidence, but they... You know, negotiate day by day on the, the, you know, day by day stuff of parliament. But as if Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese are going to go through this whole thing. (laughs) And like, yeah, Anthony Albanese has been working for 26 years to get to be the prime minister. And he's one seat away and he goes, Oh, no, I won't. Yeah, I won't
1: make a deal with Zali Stegall or with, you know, whoever. Like,
0: (laughs) yeah, it is silly. (laughs) And
1: Adam Bant has actually ruled that out going back to the polls,
0: oh uh, which yes, is interesting good point.
1: because, uh, you know, the Labor are saying absolutely no deals with, with the Greens. And even in that circumstance, Bant isn't prepared to make that threat. So I think that's a pretty good indication.
0: Safe bet. Okay. All right. Uh, Paul, you're up. So from Caitlin Scamp. Uh, hi, Murph uh, and everybody. Uh, what is the significance of Albo winning the Sky News debate in Queensland, a conservative news channel in a conservative state? So that's Caitlin's question, obviously referencing the first leaders debate of the campaign, which happened On Wednesday night, yes, on on Sky TV, so we'll deal with that in a tick, Caitlin. And from Dave Madden, uh, Labor could be running a much more negative campaign. For example, drawing more attention to recent blue-on-blue attacks. Why do you think they're not doing this and will it come later?
1: Well, I might start there because uh, they have started their negative ads just today on Thursday. it's, It's
0: almost like you willed it, Dave. I mean, almost like, you know, just by asking us the question, the ad's turned up. Anyway, sorry, go on. (laughs) They they have
1: started the ads. They're on free-to-air and digital, and uh, basically it's a roll call of Morrison mistakes, including, you know, bushfires, being on holiday in Hawaii, vaccines, rapid antigen tests. Greatest hits. But more, more than just reminding people of the mistakes, the ad argues that, yes, you know, bad things will happen and mistakes will happen, but the difference is... You know, a leader will take responsibility, and Morrison has shown that he won't. And then it runs, you know, uh, him saying that's not my job, uh, a number of times, and looking very smug in the in the last in the last one. So there are negative ads that are running now, uh, and this reflects, um, you know, feedback that that you, Murph, and, and and we've all heard about. It's persuading more voters in those marginal seats to uh, be arguing Morrison is is not up to the job rather than to, you know, Labor doesn't have a big policy platform, Albanese is still relatively unknown, so they're not, they're not trying to win the election that way. Um, in terms of whether they should be looking at blue-on-blue uh, blue violence and splits within the Liberal Party, I think they just let those issues run and, and, and people can see that division and there's no point Labor pouring petrol on that because there are so many better things to attack, like all the things that are in the ad. Uh, in terms of the uh, first question about the debate, uh, you know, yes, you might think, you know, Sky News and, and Queensland that that would be, you know, rough terrain for Anthony Albanese. But if you if you look at what the voters actually chose to ask him, it was quite a home ground advantage, mm. quite friendly. Yeah, it was interesting uh, that for, uh, questioning mm. for for Labor. I mean, people were mainly asking about the quality of government services. So there was an aged care question. Uh, there was the National Disability Insurance Scheme cuts question. There were several questions about integrity, either generally or specifically about the need for an anti-corruption body, and those are things that are generally Labor strengths. That Labor had, you know, more policy uh, to to announce in those areas. There was only one question on foreign policy, and it was about the stuff up of the fact that China has has a deal with Solomon Islands. And there was there was none really on the macro economy. It was Scott Morrison that was constantly driving the conversation back to the macro economy by arguing that if you if you don't have a strong economy, then you can't pay for the government services. So the questioning was actually quite benign yes. for Anthony Albanese, yes. and that, that was an advantage to him. Um, and uh, I, I I do think that's why why he won. And not many people are going to be watching a debate that's on cable TV news anyway. And more important than, you know, the very narrow 40 to 35 win with 25 undecided, more important is how it plays into the news cycle. Yes. And how it plays into the news cycle is after a horrible first week, you know, Anthony Albanese gaff-free encounter or, you know, one minor slip-up on boat turnbacks that he corrected during the debate. Yeah. Whereas... Scott Morrison had a day or two of bad coverage about it because of the, you know, the blessed comment about being blessed that, you know, his his children had, you know, don't have a disability or yes. that he is, didn't have to navigate the NDIS.
0: Yes. I, I think too, just to be clear, because I think the viewership figures uh, came in, I think there was about 175,000 people who watched uh, the the first debate of the campaign. Uh, so, obviously, you know, that, well, I mean, it's a lot of people, but in TV terms, it's nobody. Um, uh, also, just in case you didn't watch it and you've never seen... The format, the debate format on Sky News, because there's always at least one Sky debate during the election campaign, just bear in mind this isn't a situation where the sort of Sky after dark roster turns up and just slugs everybody with questions. It's an audience of undecided voters and, and you know, they ask the questions. So, And as Paul said, uh, you know, uh, the, the questions on Wednesday night were in policy terms favourable to uh, Albanese and Labor because they're in areas of his strength. Anyway, I just thought we'd better say that because so few people actually watched it. So, Josh, you're up. You've got three questions. First from Peter Bragg. Has the candidate for Warringah committed to any interviews or press conferences where her views can be explained and subject to scrutiny? If not, why not? Then your next question is from Helen Lewis. Again, Helen, I hope I've pronounced your name correctly. Uh, Helen asks, why are the Greens mostly not being referenced by MSM? And by that, I, I do hate that acronym, but that means mainstream media. Thank you, Josh. During uh, the lead up to the election, including by the ABC, uh they're the third largest party, could get balance of power in the Senate. They represent about 12% of Australian voters. Why so disregarded? And your third question is from Jonathan Foy. Hello, Jonathan. Uh, how will the AEC be taking into account COVID when it comes to how this election is run? Good question, Jonathan. Anyway, Josh, fire uh, well, away.
3: There are three good ones, and I'll go through them. I guess we'll start with Boringa. Um I- not that I've seen. I don't think she's made any sort of big personal comments. Like She's given a lot of written comments and they've all been, sorry for my past tweets and I apologise and I've deleted them and she keeps putting out that statement every other day when someone else finds some old tweets from her. Um, there was a, um, a candidates forum that she was meant to go to. Um, uh, Two nights ago, I think that she pulled out a, a debate or a, a forum of some kind. Um, there's there's been all these like the Sydney Morning Herald's been following her around, and there was some uh, I think fundraising dinner or something that she was supposed to, that she went to and um, as a, like a private home, and they like uh, smuggled her in in the back of a car, <laughs> and there's all these great <laughs> photos in the Sydney Morning Herald, like they must have been on like the roof of the house across the road or something like that, and there's these like you know paparazzi shots sort of through the, the balcony or something like that of this woman uh you know bundled in the back of a car and you know they, they drove her into the garage so Nicole that she would stuff. yeah or, mm-hmm. or it was like like um like Taylor Swift in the box or something like it was <laughs> this out of the apartment um I don't know like I think She's just, you know, they don't want her anywhere near a camera, I don't think. Like, she's posting a fair bit on Facebook and she's posting photos of her out and about, shaking hands with people on the campaign hustings, yeah. but I don't think we'll see her near a camera or anything anytime soon. Um, I'm just going to back through the rest of those questions. The Greens question. The Greens, a good one. <laughs> The 12% thing I think is interesting because their numbers, it, as much as you can put store and news poll and that sort of thing, their numbers have bounced around a bit. I think they were at 12 in the last one, and, but they were as low as like nine or eight, I think, a couple of weeks ago. So, um, you know, that's, that's a, a fair change in a couple of weeks. Um, the question about why they're not getting more coverage, um, I think it's because everyone is so focused on this election where it could be a change of government in the, House of Representatives and the Greens have one MP in the House of Representatives mm. at, at this point. Um, mm. Like I said, obviously they, they are talking very much about their potential to hold the balance of power in the Senate. Um, they want to pick up a few more seats. They're talking about – I think they've got nine seats at the moment and, and they're talking about you know wanting to get as many as 12 in the Senate, which would be what they say is their biggest representative number they've ever had. I think the biggest third party – I think it would be the biggest third party um outside of labor and liberal ever um which would be would be a big deal but I mean that's not you know that's not I think yeah. certain, it's not yeah. definite. No
0: no, 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 I was just trying to think about the Democrats, but I'm I'm too feeble-brained to think that far back.
3: I think we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago on, on different podcasts, but like the Greens always talk a big game at each election. They've only ever had this one MP in the lower house. But even today I just I just saw that, um, again, to about polling, and this was a Greens poll, the Greens say that, they might have a really, really, really good crack in Griffith, in, mm. which is a Labor-held mm. seat. Um, in in Brisbane, um, they reckon they've done all these tens of thousands of door knocks, and they've done this polling based on that. And I haven't seen the polling, so let's take it with a grain of salt. But they said they've done this similar type of polling previously with like some of their state candidates, mm-hmm. and it's been almost you know bang on what the final result turned out mm. to be. So, mm-hmm. um. That seats, I think, on a two or three percent margin for Terry Butler up there. So, I mean, you know, I think Amy's shaking her head here, but uh, I mean, <laughs> it, it, sure.
0: we'll hear from Amy on this. I mean, point it, it's a really,
3: moment. it's really interesting. I think that would be one that they are really confident of, of picking up. But obviously, we'll see. There's a long way to go in the election. Um, the AEC stuff, um, yes, COVID-wise, yes, COVID. Um, I think some of this stuff will change uh, because we're seeing. New South Wales and Victoria and I think also the ACT changing COVID um, isolation rules mm-hmm. uh, in the last couple of days and in the next couple of days I think for the ACT. Um, the AEC have been talking a lot about um, massively boosting uh, mobile voting, phone polling, um, that sort of thing. Um, so I think there'll be some changes to that but you know, obviously they're very mindful there might be a lot of people in isolation or sick or in hospital or what have you than, than in previous years. Um, they also talking about a lot of really basic stuff like, you know, all these hundreds of thousands of bottles of hand sanitizer they're giving out at polling places and more pencils and pens and what have you. So um, I think it'll be really interesting one to see what happens with, with the... A this time around.
0: Yeah, okay. All good. Um, I uh, I guess about the uh, Liberal candidate in, w- in Warringah, I totally agree with your analysis that they don't want anywhere near a camera, but am I the only one who senses there might be a controlled detonation of the candidate <laughs> at some point in the, in the not-too-distant future? And by that I mean she may bob up with an interview in a favourable news outlet in order to address your You'd have point. To. yeah, I mean... Well, like- I, I don't know. I'm speculating and I'm making it clear, obviously, to listeners that we're recording this... Episode on Thursday afternoon, and then the episode will drop on Saturday. So and
2: b- before the front page of the Daily Telegraph. Well, I'm just, I'm just,
0: yeah, I'm just curious, right? Because it's sort of like there is this problem, as Josh says, right? We've got this high octane ridiculousness of, you know, treating this candidate like she's, you know, a Hollywood celebrity, kind of under a blanket in the back of a car. At some point, you, one imagines she will have to be put out somewhere. Yeah, anyway.
3: well, like, how do you get her out of witness protection? Like, well, you can't be there forever.
0: That's the point. There was
4: also the suggestion in the press conference today with the Prime Minister that uh, it was the Liberal campaign which was silencing their ringa candidate, not, not the public. Uh, and Scott Morrison was asked directly, is this true? And he didn't answer it. Yeah. So he, yeah. he, you know, he used a lot of his usual lines about, you know, supporting the candidate, having been in touch with the candidate, but he didn't actually say whether it was the Liberals themselves
0: who were not allowing Catherine Deves to speak. To speak. Yes, very good point. And, and on Griffiths. And yes, oh no, no. Well, hang on, hang on. We're got to introduce Amy properly. Amy's got a bunch of questions coming up, and she's also going to have thoughts on Griffith because I think she'll explode if she doesn't. But, <laughs> but I just only that, the Queenslander, and but no, 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 no. We we understand that, darling. But first and first and foremost, uh, because Amy's been away for a few months, I just want to welcome her back uh, to uh, the live blog coverage, which of course is magnificent as always and back to the hive mind that is this political team in Canberra. So Amy's up. Start with Griffith Diles and then we'll do your question. Okay, on,
4: on Griffith, and I'm not disputing anything that Josh said, the Greens always think they can win Griffith. It's kind of the same as points that Sarah has made about Boothby in Adelaide where Labor always thinks that they can win Boothby and it always ends up being the status quo. It's the same with Griffith. It's it's
0: good to it's good to have big dreams.
2: <laughs> I think I think the difference with Boothby is that people in Adelaide never think they can win Boothby. It's people at HQ who, who occasionally <laughs> think that they can win Boothby. Well, but this time it's a bit different for Boothby. It, yeah. I mean, like the Greens have increased their vote in
4: Queensland. They now have a state representative in the parliament for the first time. Uh, so, you know, they and they have taken a seat in that area in Griffith. They took it from Jackie Trad, who is, you know, quite yeah, closely aligned right. with yep. Terry Butler, which has given a bit of impetus to this push But at the moment on the ground, there doesn't seem to be that much of a scare within the Labor campaign that they are going to lose Griffith. Uh, There's always that worry, but it doesn't seem to be translating to the point where they're battening down the hatches. Mm.
0: Okay. Very interesting. Now, Amy, you've got two questions. Uh, The first is on aged care, and this is from Nola Chilcott. Hi, Nola. Uh, My parents had an ACAT assessment over over six months ago and received a Level 3 assessment for their home care package. It has still not been processed. My mum is 90 in July. Hello, Nola's mum. Uh, Why is home care taking so long and what assistance is there for my parents now, that's your first question. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we don't need to get into the weeds mm-hmm. of ACAT assessments, but yep. we get the we get the drift. Uh, the second question is from Ginger, and it, it concerns the Solomons that we referenced a uh, minute or two ago uh, and this security uh, pact that it, it has been struck with China. So Ginger says the Solomons, this is a game changer in the Pacific. What has the foreign minister been doing <laughs> well, isn't,
4: isn't that a question for the ages? Um, I'll start with Nola. Hi, hi Nola. Um, I'm sorry that you and your family are going through this. Uh, it's something that thousands of Australian families are going through at the moment. And the very short answer to your question is why is your mum not receiving the home care package she's been approved for is because of staffing shortages. There just isn't the staff to be able to enact all of these home care packages that have been, uh, you know, awarded to people, rightly awarded to people. And Chris Naus did a great story on this very recently for The Guardian where he basically was pointing out that of the $6.5 billion that the federal government promised for an extra 80,000 home care packages uh, over the next couple of years, staff shortages has meant that the vast majority of those are are not... being met Mm. as yet Uh, he actually reported that the total number of home care providers has actually decreased in the past year by about 17 which doesn't seem like a lot but if you're in an area outside of metropolitan like cities that could be the only provider that you had mm, in your region. Yeah. Or it might have meant that you went from two providers to one. And that that's huge when you consider the growing number of people who need care at home. So it's one of those issues that has kind of been popping up in the election campaign but not to the level that it should mm. in that we keep hearing questions to the Labor campaign of how they're going to meet all their promises for extra nursing staff in terms of the urgent care clinics that they have promised and the melanoma clinics and putting a registered nurse in every aged care home 24 hours, seven days a week as the uh, Royal Commission recommended. But we're not seeing those same questions applied to the, to the government, to the coalition, about how they are going to meet what is already a staffing shortage in the, in the care sector generally, but particularly in aged care. Mm. This is a massive issue for Australia, uh, it's not going to be solved just by bringing in more foreign carers. It does need to have a lot more training and money and time put into this sector, and we're just not seeing those commitments mm, at the moment.
0: Mm. Yes, and uh, whichever side of uh, power wins uh, on uh, the 21st, uh, it's uh, it's a huge issue. Um So thank you, Nola, for that question. Now to Ginger and the Solomons. To
4: Ginger and the Solomons. Uh, Where was Maurice Payne? Well, um, (laughs) Maurice Payne, to be fair, as as Daniel Hurst and Kate Lyons have, have reported, has been in contact with her Solomon Island counterpart. Where was she while this was all happening when Zed Zezelja was sent? She was on the campaign. And we know that Maurice Payne was on the campaign because uh, her own people have been sending out photos of Maurice Payne at campaign events. Uh, Andrew Clennell from Sky News asked the Prime Minister why Maurice Payne was at a uh, LNP fundraiser on the day that Zed Zezelja was flown out to Solomon Islands. Wasn't particularly an answer for that. Uh, again, we've just fallen back on the, we've been in constant contact and we're doing everything that we can. But uh, I think given the US response and who they have sent, like they're sending their big di- diplomatic guns with Kurt Campbell. We've had a lot of uh, interest from the United States, I, I suppose. Uh, even New Zealand has certainly you know, popped up in this space as well. There's going to be a lot of questions, I think, about whether an election campaign
0: got in the way of Australia's diplomatic response to this. Mm, yes, indeed. Now, uh, we're on the clock, guys, so we're going to freeform a couple real fast. Um, and I just I wanted them on the... List of questions today because they're just they're very substantial questions and they're issues that are not really uh, necessarily front and centre in what's happening in the election campaign at the moment. From a Twitter account called Just Science, uh, this uh, this observation: we're in transition from no COVID uh, vaccination to high vaccination with better prophylactics. Has any politician laid out what that pathway looks like? Potential mortality has gone from forty thousand a year to less than eight thousand a year, and dropping as the various wave, waves diminish. Asking a question for the ages again, are we there yet when it comes to the pandemic? So that's uh, one we'll freeform on. And also from Peter Stapleton, this uh, this is actually about op- uh, opinion polling, uh, which I think is an important thing to keep front and centre, given that none of us are absolutely certain that the data that we're collecting during the election is 100% accurate. So Peter observes, I think progress has been made on improving the national 2PP, this is two party preferred number, in terms of accounting for undecideds, and that's referencing our process at Guardian Essential. But I think there's still too much focus on it. What are things looking like at the state level as things uh, move to, uh, are things moving in the right places for a change of government? A very acute question. So anyway,
2: COVID, are we there yet, guys? No, we're not. (laughs) I mean, we're we're certainly seeing, obviously, there's changes in restrictions for New South Wales and Victoria, and there's obviously a lot of talk about us moving from the pandemic stage to the endemic stage of the virus. Certainly doesn't mean it's not harmless, um, but it does mean that we will live with it in a different way than how we have over the past couple of years um i also feel like even if we do have another um difficult wave over winter i don't feel that there'd be any public appetite at all for reintroduction of restrictions um but, yeah, so this i think is, the governments will be treating it in a very different way as yeah, well
0: this is a question i've got yeah it's kind of like if there is all of a sudden some i mean god forbid some horrendous variant um you know what do governments do then?
3: Have we heard? I haven't heard a. I, I haven't really thought about this until the question. I haven't heard a single politician talk about this on the election yet. That's why I put it mm. on the question. List. I haven't. I, I just, it's just this this exactly. thing that's been around in our lives for two exactly. and a half years. It's I haven't heard a single yeah. question about. It. Like you see, obviously people wearing masks at press conferences and that sort of thing. But I haven't heard any politician even be asked a question or say anything about it. I
2: think it. Well, because everyone's because just sick of talking because about I
1: think yeah, th- exactly. because I think the uh, the the lockdowns, which are sort of unprecedented, were until we had a vaccine and then there was a vaccine and then most people, 90% plus, got vaccinated and then they feel they've done their part, they've done all they can. And then the social licence for those you know, other things that are huge impositions just just falls away. Mm. Now, maybe we should, still should be doing things like masks that that aren't a great imposition.
0: And and for the record, we are fully masked and ventilated in this recording,
2: in a room we, the size of a cupboard.
1: We, we should be doing those things. But, yeah, it's completely uh, dropped off the radar, even though, you know, more than 4,000 people have died uh, this year, which is, you know, more than double in the first two years of the... Of the pandemic, but no, it, it, it's it's not really an issue. I think we just sort of the political conversation has moved into the endemic stage where they're just going to cop that amount.
4: Having said that, uh, on today, this Thursday, Philadelphia in the United States is reintroducing mm. mask mandates for inside because their cases are starting to get out of control again, and there's too much pressure on the healthcare system already, and they're just trying to get ahead of the wave. And mm. I kind of feel that the United States is starting to look at doing that, even though, of course, they have their own court issues and all the rest of it. I think we could start to see some mandates in terms of masks and things like that if our healthcare systems are not with, are standing up to any future COVID outbreaks.
0: Yeah, well, it's sort of the, the, key, the key question about winter, isn't it, really, like whether the, the combo of flu season and COVID plus any variants sort of changes the calculation. But anyway, we foregrounded this question because it is important and, uh, and bizarrely, despite, you know, this being the collective obsession of the world for the last you know two years it's all of a sudden we've hit this fatigue point but they
3: both, both sides are kind of saying oh there's sunnier days ahead you yeah. know like neither of them want to say you know
0: it could, think it back could all to this to awful shit time winter. i mean like
3: labor's obviously talking about you know failures on vaccines and what have you but like they don't want to talk about masks and lockdowns and you know doom and gloom
0: yeah exactly all right polls guys do we believe them
2: <laughs> 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 the bit I believe is the 30% of people still undecided or voting for others or independents. Yeah, I think, like, honestly, I think, you know, the, the, les-
0: the lesson we've applied corporately at The Guardian is watch the undecideds, foreground the undecideds in every piece of research that you see. But Peter raised a really interesting point, and that is, you know, this sort of weird situation that we've got in Australia because data is so well, poor, let's be honest, Uh, you know, we make much of the national metrics in opinion polls, right? What is the national two-party preferred or in our poll two-party preferred class tells you bugger all, actually, about what's happening because what's happening is happening state by state and seat by seat. And yet nobody is producing reliable seat polls that would enable us to be able to accurately chart Uh, you know, the the trajectory of an election. So, you know, I don't know. Has anyone seen any decent seat polls or, you know, some innovation that would help us in in this regard?
1: No, and I think the thing people have to keep in mind is that swings are never uniform. So even if there were a uniform swing of 3% nationally, you're going to see seats further up the pendulum uh, fall on margins larger than 3%. And you can see that in where the leaders... Are campaigning. I mean, Anthony Albanese was in in Bennelong uh, today, uh, trying to you know uh, because John Alexander's retiring, and they think that's a winnable seat, even though it's on a, on a larger margin. You can look at the coalition's list that they're briefing out about how they're going to retain government by winning you know Lions, McEwen seats that are on five percent margins that they hope to go the other way. So you know they they know they know that they, that it's not just you know, a dozen seats in play. There are more seats in play than that. Uh, and I, I think the state story is going to be very interesting, particularly when WA, you know, polls close last, they're a few hours behind, uh, reports a few hours later, but that uh, that is looking like the most fertile ground for, for, for Labor potentially with three seats on a margin of about 5.5% and less and, and, and expecting a swing.
4: And then we just saw the Labor campaign spend almost a week in Queensland, which, you know, some of the margins there are just absolutely astronomical and you wouldn't expect to see any seats really change uh, to Labor given what happened in the last election. Uh, But we did just see the Labor campaign dedicate almost a week in in Queensland, particularly in southeast Queensland, and, and there's a reason for that is because they sense with the floods uh, that there is opportunity for change there. And I do have to say again, as the Queenslander, I know it's seen as a conservative state, but it has had progressive state governments for the vast majority of the last couple of decades. It's not a conservative stronghold. It just really did not like Bill Shorten at the last election. Mm-hmm. Josh, did you have a thought?
0: No, not, not particularly. No, I mean, no, the, no, the, no. the Greens
3: have knocked on 27,000 doors in Griffiths. Um, <laughs> no, we shouldn't have. No. Uh, the, 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 that's a really good point. I mean, I've, I've been fascinated in how how much both sides, Paul mentioned WA, how much both sides are already pandering to WA. Like every time Scott Morrison goes over there, he just, you know, falls over to say how much we love WA and, oh, you guys are so good. and The forever deal. Oh, the forever deal. <laughs> like, And even I I was fascinated this week that he, again, he's turned around one of these Labor lines and just like, switch the names out of it. One of Albo's lines the whole way through has been like um, Scott Morrison sided with Palmer against WA and Morrison turned it around this week at I think one of the Chamber of Commerce events he was at and he said – Albo sided against Mark McGowan and West Australians on – I can't remember what the issue was. It was, yeah. it was, some, it was something
2: green, – Greenfields, Industrial Oh, yes, Industrial Relations. Yeah, something about yeah. mining, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah that's right.
3: It was, yeah. it was really interesting. just you know, I was just one of these ones that kept flipping it around. But, yeah, I think that's a really interesting factor. Like, he's now – Trying to say, or oh, you know, Mark McGowan and me are our best buddies. So, yeah, I, I think
2: the West is interesting because six months ago, Labor, you know, Labor and co- the coalition were saying, you know, five seats could be in play over there. And that's massively stepped back now. And I know last election, um, you know, Labor was also pretty confident, um, uh, but they weren't sure which seat, which, which was kind of problematic. But now I think both sides are sort of more in the two, two or two, three, falls uh, agitated. But three. But but agitated. But the,
1: the, the individual seat polls. Suggest you know tangy is in play, which is on a you know mm. stonking 10 or 11 percent margin. So we we come back to the original yes. the original point, the point that either the the, yeah. either those polls are wrong or we're going to see strange things. Josh Friedenberg losing uh, Koo Yong. Uh, the Liberals losing North Sydney, you know, if they are to be believed, which, you know, I, I don't think necessarily yeah, either. Yeah. And
4: Murphy, your visit to Tasmania and talking to those uh, undecided voters was really interesting because both parties are throwing absolutely everything at it, thinking they have a shot. And what you found was that they're both kind of just like, eh, yeah. about
0: both sides. Mega meh. So anyway, yeah, look, it is, anyway, genuinely fascinating. Now, last one, Paul, very quickly, uh, just because yeah. you did the fact check, I've dogged you in for this one because you did the fact check on it. When Morrison claims, sorry, this is from an account called Truth Seeker, when Morrison claims that he saved 40,000 lives, what uh, modelling is he using uh, to prove that direct intervention by the federal government only achieved this? Does this assume no vaccines? Does it assume that he influenced the state's management? Where did this number come from?
1: So this number is uh, comparing The number of deaths in Australia in 2020 and 2021 uh, with the average in the OECD, uh, if we had had that average applied to our population, we would have had, you know, 40,000 deaths. So... That That's how it's calculated. Morrison doesn't exactly say, you know, I personally saved these lives or <laughs> only through the federal government's do, actions were these you, lives what saved. What do you mean? He what says, do you mean he doesn't he say He says, you know, the Australian pandemic response did that and then leaves it implicit that, you know, brackets, that means me, folks. Um, so... Obviously, the federal government did some things like closing the borders and convening national cabinet uh, and ordering vaccines. It didn't. It didn't drive every aspect of the COVID response. The states drove, you know, the, the lockdowns and a lot and the the interstate uh, border closures that that kept. Parts of the country relatively COVID-free for that whole two years, so it's not a it's not a Morrison solo achievement. It's a federal Australian achievement, an
0: achievement of the federation. Yes, yes, uh,
1: well, and uh, as long as it's understood in that context, then you know well, it's 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 not wrong per se. Um, it is it is it is slightly misleading though because there are a bunch of countries in the OECD like Mexico that we don't normally compare ourselves to. We normally aim to have better uh, medical outcomes then. So there are some countries that didn't have such a great pandemic that drag the OECD average
0: down yes Uh, up yes up not down up up okay fascinating achievements of the federation and and all that well thank you guys Uh, thank you to everybody who sent questions this week obviously we cannot get to all of them I I apologise for that but we hope we've run through a representative sample of um, things that you really want answered in the campaign context Mm -hmm. we'll do another episode of course next week so uh, you know put your thinking caps on and keep us on our toes. Thank you to Miles Martignoni, who's the EP of this show. Thank you to you guys for listening, and we'll see you again next Saturday.